Try Therapy Notes, the number one rated electronic health record system available today. With live telephone support seven days a week, it's clear why Therapy Notes is rated 4.9 out of 5 stars on Trustpilot and has a 5-star rating on Google. Therapy Notes makes billing, scheduling, note-taking, and telehealth incredibly easy. And now for all you prescribers out there, Therapy Notes is proudly introducing ePrescribe. Try it today with no strings attached and see why everyone is switching to Therapy Notes, now featuring ePrescribe. You can get two months free by using promo code CHAT at therapynotes.com. Trauma Therapist Network is a website to learn about trauma and how it shows up in our lives and to find a trauma therapist. Go to traumatherapistnetwork.com to find a trauma therapist near you today. Are you going through menopause or perimenopause? It can be a struggle to find comfort in your body with night sweats, hot flashes, and so many other uncomfortable symptoms. Hormone Harmony is a supplement for women going through perimenopause, menopause, or postmenopause created by Happy Mammoth. They are dedicated to making women's lives easier using only science-backed ingredients that have been proven to work for women. Hormone Harmony contains science-backed herbal extracts called adaptogens. They help the body adapt to any stressors like chaotic hormonal changes that happen naturally throughout women's lives. So hormone harmony isn't just for menopause. Any woman with symptoms of hormonal imbalances can take it, but it's perfect for those horrible menopause symptoms that put a woman's life on hold. Hot flashes and night sweats, racing thoughts and low moods, poor sleep and feeling tired all the time. For a limited time, you can get 15% off on your entire first order at happymammoth.com. Just use the code CHAT at checkout. That's happymammoth.com and use the code CHAT for 15% off today. Therapy Chat Podcast, episode 284. This is the Therapy Chat Podcast with Laura Reagan, LCSWC. The information shared in this podcast is not a substitute for seeking help from a licensed mental health professional. And now, here's your host, Laura Reagan, LCSWC. Therapists, do you feel stuck when working with clients who are numb and disconnected, who have trouble accessing emotion and exploring their inner experience? Learn a comprehensive approach to conceptualize your client's concerns. Sensory motor psychotherapy uniquely includes the body and therapy as both a source of information and a target for intervention because words are not enough. Go beyond theories and gain practical ways to open a new dimension for effective therapy. Visit Sensory Motor Psychotherapy Institute online at sensorymotor.org today. Hi, welcome back to Therapy Chat. I'm your host, Laura Reagan, and today I'm very excited to be speaking with Michelle Ferris, LMFT, who is a licensed psychotherapist and anger management specialist. Michelle, thank you so much for being my guest on Therapy Chat today. Oh, thanks so much for having me, Laura. I've really been looking forward to it. You have a great show. Oh, thanks so much. And we've known each other a long time without really knowing each other just through Facebook. Isn't that funny? I know. I think it's probably about 24. 14 that I yeah. met you Yep, seven yep. years ago. So we're finally I, connecting. I know. I'm so glad. In this way. <laughs> yes. 
So um, let's start off before we get into our conversation about the topic of codependency. Let's just start off by you telling our audience a little bit about who you are and what you do. Sure. So I'm a therapist and I work primarily with codependency and anger management. I love it. One of my first internships was the 52-week anger management program that Batters went to. And, you know, my friends were like, why are you doing that? (laughs) And, you know, I loved it because they were all typically abused as kids. And it was so wonderful to see the light bulb come on for them and for them to be able to make those changes. And I don't know, I just loved anger work. And then I went into codependency because of my own codependency recovery I think I started that when I was in my 20s. And I don't know, I think that's what I really love about therapy is just the process of growth and wanting to give other people hope that they really can make changes. Because, you know, I mean, that's why we do what we do, right? We want to have people get better. And for me, it was a huge part of why I became a therapist, because I, I saw that I finally had hope because I left, I don't know, for college, like most people thinking, oh, now that I'm away from my family, everything's going to be great. <laughs> and it was like, I had no skills to live. And it was a, kind of a rude awakening. So that process made me realize, oh, I really do want to do this because this is really fun. And this is really, you know, just it's rewarding. rewarding. Yeah. yeah. It's really rewarding because we both (laughs) said it at the same time. That's right. Well, I, you know, you brought up something that I think would be helpful, even though it's not specifically what we're focusing on today, but just to make a distinction, because I know a lot of times people say that when there's domestic violence in a relationship, like if the, let's say, for example, the male partner is the abuser, they'll say, you know, he needs anger management, but what the court will put them into is an abuser intervention program or a batterer's intervention program, like you were talking about where you did your internship, which is very helpful, but it's not necessarily the same as what people think of when they say anger management. Am I right about that? Or Uh, I don't know how it is there. (laughs) Yeah, well, it was a 52 week program. Now I think they've put it down to 16 weeks, which I I think is a shame because they really need that full year. But the difference is, is they talk more about the power and control aspects But there was a lot of anger management strategies and communication strategies we taught them. So by the end of the year, I mean, they really got some good skills. It was just a matter of whether or not they were motivated to use them. But yeah, that's the only difference. Whereas a normal anger management class, like say the four week one I do, I don't go into power and control. I just focus on the tools and that's for anybody. So yeah, it is a little bit different. Yeah, I think that's important because, you know, people... If there is an, a power and control dynamic in the relationship yeah. of a, an abusive relationship, you know, if that's yeah. not addressed, then the anger management wouldn't really be, you know, f- fully addressing the, the problem that caused the person to do that. But exactly. And that's why they need a full year. You know, they're yeah. not going to get this in four weeks. You know, they're going to they need a lot more time. So, yeah. but it's really rewarding to see people be able to change like that. That's awesome. When I was an undergrad, I uh, sat in on a couple of those abuser intervention programs, what they mm-hmm. call it over here. And just a couple of sessions I was allowed to yeah. watch with my professor facilitating. And it definitely 
changed my perception about, you know, the dynamics Mm -hmm. of abusive relationships of, you know, what the intention is on the part of the abuser, you know, where it seems like this, you know, person who's just like this out of control, like monster, it's really just this very hurt person who has no understanding of how to express it. Or no skills to be able to do that. Yes. And to manage it. Exactly. Right. All right. So that's a slight aside, but not really, because I mean, you know, all of that factors into what we're talking about today, but you do specialize in codependency. And I was wondering if you could Mm -hmm. just kind of start off with talking about what that means, because, you know, I used to find that as extremely confusing concept. Yeah, you're not alone. Um, I think a lot of people miss the fact that they're codependent because there's so many different kinds of symptoms. They may not relate to the primary ones. So they think, oh, I'm not codependent. But to me, I relate codependency as a pattern of behavior where you're focusing on other people at your own expense. So you get all your validation, your approval from others because you don't know how to give it to yourself. So there's really a, it creates one of those one-sided relationships where you're doing all the heavy lifting, you're trying to rescue, possibly control, possibly, you know, get into their business because that's how you find yourself versus being able to have a healthy relationship when you have a sense of self, you know, so it's, it's really hard. But, you know, I think to your point of it being confusing, I noticed that there's kind of two types that I've seen. One is the people pleaser type, and that's the type I am, I relate to, where we don't want conflict, we'll do whatever you want us to do, Uh, we're super good caretakers, Uh, so we look nice, yeah, but the problem is, is that we don't see that we're actually hurting ourselves. Now, the other part is, I'm going to not use a name, but a person I used to know, and they were very aggressive in their verbal approach. They were much more of a controlling type person. So they were codependent too, but a totally different style, more in your face, not afraid to get into conflict, not afraid to speak up for themselves, but they didn't have good boundaries and an awareness of how they were coming across. But, you know, those are kind of different sides of the same coin, but uh, I think it's helpful sometimes for people to realize there's not just one type. You can have a constellation of the symptoms that's unique to you. That is really helpful. I've, I've more heard of it in terms of the people pleaser, conflict avoidant and somewhat like martyr, martyr like way of being, which is pretty relatable. I think, you know, cause I raised my hand when uh, you were saying that, that. (laughs) right. (laughs) Because, you know, it's like, and all of you who are listening, who may be therapists, does this sound familiar at all? Because, you know, we know that we don't rescue as therapists, but our relationship is one-sided, you know, it's meant to be focused on the other person. Right. And, you know, I think there's a natural way that we fall into this work because we're comfortable doing that. We know yes. how to do it well. Yep. Yeah. Not everyone, you know, but yeah, it's right. And if we can balance that with really good self-care and boundaries, like possibly, you know, working with the clients, we know we can help versus being with clients that we know in our heart, you know what, this isn't a good fit, but I'm going to do it anyway, because I should, you know, mm. and that, that, that's kind of a way codependency can play out in our professional lives. And, and now I'm really careful because if I don't feel a good, strong connection with someone, I'm not going to be as likely to be able to help them 
you know, and again, it's human nature, right? I mean, it, it is a relationship. So some people are going to be more compatible than others, even in the therapeutic relationship. Yeah, I think you're making an important point for therapists to think about mm-hmm. how you decide who you want to focus your work with, because, yeah. you know, you're working 10 times harder if the connection is really hard to build based on your right. attachment style and their t- attachment style. Right. And there's going to always a lot be another- out of us. Yeah. And, and you know what, there's always another therapist that's going to say, no, that's my ideal client, send them my way. Right. So it's like, it's not like we're the only therapist in the world. <laughs> right. And we don't have to be. That's right. We don't have to be. But personally, it really creates a lot of havoc in our relationships. Because, you know, if you don't have a strong sense of self, it's really hard to create a healthy relationship, because you're going to be chasing that other person to make you feel complete, you know, that whole, you complete me <laughs> from Jerry Maguire, you know, I mean, that is the essence of a codependent, you know, they need somebody to, co- to complete them. Yes. Oh my gosh. That's so funny that you said that. But when you said it, I thought of Dr. Evil from what is it? Austin Powers. Like, oh yeah. He's like at his mini me and he's like, you uh-huh. complete me. And it's like that, <laughs> you know, it's, it's just that drawing attention to the irony of how, you know, That's so unhealthy. (laughs) Yeah. And it's hard because, you know, codependents don't often realize they need recovery because they're in relationships with alcoholics or with people who are self-centered or narcissistic or people with lots of problems. So they think I'm not the one with the problem. They need to get sober. They need to go to therapy versus, but our behaviors are actually hurting us because we're literally giving up all of our time and energy towards that other person rather than having a balanced life. That's really true. And I mean, I mentioned it as how the therapy relationship can be similar to that, but I think, mm-hmm. you know, we, we who have this type of dynamic, we play it out in all areas of our lives, you know? Yeah. Well, that's another thing that I think people miss is they think it's only about the alcoholic and the codependent, right? That's the traditional form that we know but you can do this with your kids. You can do this with your adult kids by taking responsibility and caretaking them far beyond what they need. You can do this in a friendship. You can do this with your parent. I mean, you know, the codependent goes across all types of relationships. It's not just the romantic ones. Do you think you could take just a second and kind of give an example just Mm -hmm. of what it would be like for someone who does this with their kids, who does it with their adult kids, who does it with their parent, just for people to hear like, Oh Oh, yeah, I do kind of have that. (laughs) So a parent with small kids might be so overly worried about them that they don't practice self-care. They're so focused on their kids accomplishments because that's how they feel good as parents. If my kid is the star, then I feel okay. If my kid fails, I fail. So their self-esteem comes from their kids. With an adult kid, it might be maybe they're still living at home and they're 30 years old and you haven't helped them become independent. They're actually still emotionally and financially dependent on you because you like that. You like that love and attention and connection, but you don't know how to kick them out of the nest. You know, that's hard. And especially now with, you know, kids nowadays, it is harder to launch for sure. You know, it's a lot more money to get out there in the world and pay rent and all that. In a romantic relationship, that's going to be, you know, you may want your partner to be your everything. And, you know, I see a lot of men do this where they don't have any 
other emotional support, but their partner. Mm -hmm. And that's really dangerous because what happens if you get into an argument? What happens if they go out of town? Then your support walks right out. (laughs) And that's not a good place emotionally to be. So I always recommend people, you know, really making sure they have outside support and a relationship. Trying to think what other kind of relationship there is. You said the child, the adult child, the romantic. Oh, about and a friendships. Friendship. Oh, yes. Well, I have a personal story about that. I actually had a codependent friendship a, a couple of years back and didn't realize it because I've been in recovery a long time. And I thought, hey, you know, I got my self care going, I got a lot of other relationships. But when the relationship ended suddenly, I was totally blindsided. And even though it's natural to go into grief, I plummeted into grief. Like, holy cow, what just happened? And I realized that without knowing it, I had become too attached. So even though I had my recovery, I had my other friendships, I was still relying on her to be my main support. And that was a huge wake-up call for me because sometimes we don't realize we're doing it until the relationship ends. And then we're left picking up the pieces and realize, oh my God, this isn't just sadness. I'm falling apart or I'm totally heartbroken. Mm. And that's, you know, if that was a healthier relationship, I would have been sad, but it wouldn't have plummeted me as far down as I went. But ironically, it was one of the best things that ever happened to me because it woke me up. Yeah, and I would say if it were a healthy relationship, healthier relationship, you wouldn't have been blindsided too, right? Like there would have been communication that there would have been an awareness that this is, you know, coming to its natural end. Yeah. 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 So what about um, people who are, have codependent relationships with their parents? I think like as adults, maybe. Mm. Yeah, that's hard. I see that where they might still feel like their parent needs to give them permission or validation versus realizing that, you know what, they're my parent. And the natural course of development is as they age, we will start to take care of them. And if we never got what we needed growing up as as codependents, then we may resist that. And we may still expect our parents to take care of us emotionally, even though they're like in their 60s, 70s, 80s. So it doesn't, you know, the purse strings are never cut. We still call our mom every day. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean it's unhealthy. People call their mom every day because they're close. I think that's lovely um, if you have that. But if it's so much that you depend on them that it's unhealthy or it's hurting you in any way or it's preventing you from uh, having friendships, then it's probably an issue to look at. Well, I definitely hear from a lot of people who say, my mom is my best friend And Mm -hmm. we talk every day, but when they go into more detail, it's like the conversations are one-sided where the mom does all the talking about herself and they get off the phone feeling like, you know? Yeah. Well, that's so classic codependent. We listen, 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 and then we get off the phone and realize where's mine? Like I didn't, I didn't get seen at all. But the problem is, is that the codependent doesn't realize that they don't actually offer that information. They expect the other person to say, Hey, well, how are you? But if we've trained them not to ask us that because we're asking them constantly how they are, then we actually have to untrain people. And that's, what's really hard in recovery is that the codependent has to actually practice volunteering information about themselves, not just focusing on the other person's well-being. And that, you know, that takes some time. Yeah. It's more vulnerable, right? To share how you feel than to be 
feeling that good feeling of your friend or the person you care about leaning on you for advice and suggestions. Yeah. yeah. That's like the codependent high is I'm helping you. I feel amazing because I just did you this huge favor. And then what ends up happening is they end up crashing <laughs> a couple of days later because they didn't get anything back. And then now they're in resentment and hurt, but they can't say that. So it's a vicious cycle of I'm going to keep giving, 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 hoping you're going to notice me. But when you don't, I'm going to be really upset, but I'm not going to tell you about it. Yeah, that's uh, that feels familiar in many, many ways. But, um, you know, I think that the one that you talked about with the controlling approach doesn't feel as clear to me. Can you give some examples of how that might show up in relationships, if you can think of any? Yeah, so it's more the person who might be telling you what they think you should do. They might be more judgmental. They might appear that they have all the answers, but inside their self-esteem is just as low as yours. It's just, they have a better, you know, they learned to get their value by being the wealth of information or being the smart one. So they use that because of course, you know, that's, that's a positive trait, but in relationship, it sets the other person to feel up, feel like they're wrong because there's this cloud of judgment that doesn't feel good, but they don't know how to say anything. So that's where the codependent, you know, has to pull back and go, wow, maybe I I am a little judgy and I need to, to look at my own humility that maybe I don't have all the answers and maybe that's not the way I need to lead in relationship. Maybe I don't have to do that. Maybe I can just practice being myself because that's what the codependent doesn't do. They, they take on these traits to connect. So if I think I have all your answers, I'm trying to connect with you, but I'm kind of pushing you away in my judgment at the same time. So, you know, it, that's why it gets so dysfunctional. Yeah. I think parents can do that too, you know, like as a way to try to, I see this a lot with like in this parent who sees their child as not launching, but the parent Mm. is kind of telling them what they should be doing and trying to control their path, but not letting them just go out there and possibly make a mistake, flail a bit. Yeah. Right. Because that is, you know, you can't do someone's life for them. No. And yet it's, uh, it's such a humbling experience. I mean, my son's 22 and he's still living with us and I'm okay with that, but he's, it's like, it's been a process of letting go more and more, letting him get his job and do his thing. And, you know, me trying to teach him how to be more and more independent, but it's, it is, it's challenging as a codependent because as a codependent, I naturally want to take care of him because that's my skill set. Even in recovery, I'll still want to fall back on that. But I also know that, you know, if I do that too much, then I'm really not serving him or me. Yeah, you're you're really making me think about a question that I've considered a lot myself as a parent of two young adults, 22 and 24. Mm-hmm. How do you know when, how do you know where the line is to be? I mean, I feel like what I'm trying to right. do is just, you know, when they need more help, give more Mm -hmm. help when they need less help, let them do it, you know? So like sort of just trying to gauge if they're in a crisis situation, they do need help. Right. If it's something where they maybe didn't budget well, you know, is there a way to help them like figure out how to solve the problem, but not solve it for them and things like that. But, but how do, how do parents figure out the difference between being caring, supportive, loving Mm -hmm. and being codependent? Well, I think just what you did is you're trying to 
be supportive without jumping in and fixing it. And everybody has a different starting point, you know, depending on the kid, depending on their capabilities. So it's going to look different for different families. And I think that's where we get into comparison of, oh, my son isn't doing what their son's doing. And this is so unique. Every skill set, and if a parent has been really codependent for a long time, then it's going to be baby steps at first to start to reverse that. It may be having them start to do their own laundry or, you know, don't offer them money all the time. Literally. And like, literally. Okay, we're doing better than that. (laughs) There you go. Yeah, see, I still. They do their laundry. That's good. See, I'm kind of on the fence about that. I sometimes do it. I sometimes don't. But like, but I know that that's one of the things I can concretely do, but it's really about stepping back and letting them figure it out. So sometimes the codependent wants to rush in or we see an issue before they do. And maybe that's the first sign of defense is, you know what? I see it. That doesn't mean I have to act. Maybe I wait for a while before offering. Maybe that's the growth, you know, or I get with some other parents and talk to them and get support around other parents who are also struggling because I think you have to get that support in order not to feel uh, bad about what you're doing, you know, because all of this is human. And after the year we've had with COVID, it's like, of course, there's going to be more issues and that's understandable. We kind of have to give ourselves a break, you know? That's a good point. I mean, everything's different with COVID with kids who would have gone to college and been away and gone through all these experiences and learned from them are kind of, many of them were back home and, you know, Mm -hmm. sort of falling into the comfort of just, you know, everyone being so scared and just needing to kind of pull together. Yeah, for sure. So can you talk about how this starts? Where does codependency Mm -hmm. come from? So it basically starts in families where the parents are either emotionally or physically unavailable or inconsistent. Um, So this is very common in families with addiction, mental health issues like rage, maybe the parents depressed or anxious to the point where it's impacting their functioning. It can be any issue where the parents are totally consumed or it's taking so much of their energy, like it could be having a special needs kid. That's taking so much of their energy that they really don't have a lot left to parent the other kids. So, you know, in healthy parenting, the attention goes from the parent to the child. It doesn't go from the child to the parent, but in codependent families, it goes from the child to the parent because the parent doesn't have the skills to really be present all the time and to do the hard work of parenting because they might be, you know, with an addict or they might have depression or they might have anxiety or they might have an illness or rage problems. So that really impacts their ability to parent. So then the child learns not to have needs. Okay, I'm going to be in the background or I'm going to be a straight A student so that I matter or I'm going to be a caretaker. I'm going to caretake my siblings or caretake a parent so that I feel like I can have some value because they don't get taught that they have value simply because they are who they are. So that kind of sets up that dynamic of looking outside of themselves for that approval and that self-esteem. That was a very succinct and clear explanation. Thank you. Yeah, that's that makes so much sense. Oh, good. Is there a different, is there a like a pattern or trend on who tends to have more of the people pleaser type and who has more of the Mm. controlling approach? Just curious. It's okay if not. You know, I've seen men and women have both. 
And I think there's a growing number of men that are identifying with being codependent, where by the time they're in adult relationships, they are really trying to be the white knight and rescuing all these damsels in distress versus actually being able to have a healthy relationship. So I think it's probably relatively equal, but the styles can be different. You know, like the roles in the family, you might have the hero, you might have the lost child, things like that. But the codependency, you know, the other thing is, is that you can either grow up on the codependent side or you can go grow up on the addict side. And the addict is more, you know, they're going to get into addictions probably in their early teens. They're going to be more of a self centered personality type, whereas the codependent kid is going to be much more about other people and lacking a sense of self, which is why ironically, they grow up and marry each other, (laughs) because they end up being that dysfunctional match. So yeah, so I think I think that both of them end up sprouting from these kind of families. That's, that's so interesting. And you know, I think the addict side, of course, like you said, the traditional idea was, alcoholic, mm-hmm. you know, partner with a partner who's enabling them. That's right. That's what I originally heard of as codependency and understood. And, but addict can really be more than just substance abuse, right? Oh yeah. It can be food addiction. It can be uh, compulsive behavior, sex addiction, video addiction. I mean, there's lots of ways to numb out. And a lot of codependents do have addiction issues because that also helped them cope as kids. You know, a lot of them have food issues because, you know, the easiest substance to get when you're five is food. You know, you're not going to get offered a drink, but you're going to get offered sugar. And that can start really early. That food is love thing. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, I'm also thinking about like workaholics. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. They're, I mean, codependents are the ones that you want on your team (laughs) because these are the ones that are going to give you their heart and soul. And, and that's what's really precious about them, right? Is because they really do contribute a lot. The problem is, is they don't have any sense of their stopping gap. (laughs) So they just keep going, even though they're running themselves into the ground. So in recovery, it's really about how do I give a lot because that's who I am, but know where my stop point is where I have to go, you know what, I'm going to say no to that because I just don't have the time versus, oh no, I have to keep saying yes, or else, you know, I'm going to be thought of as lazy or selfish. Those are really common beliefs codependents have when they think of self-care. Yeah. Yeah. I'll add, or people will be mad at me. Yep. Yep. That's a huge one. Yeah. And it's so, you know, it's so sanctioned in our culture to be I mean, I'll say particularly for women, but mm-hmm. it's, yeah. it's, there's this whole like cultural ideal where the, the fairy tale is what everybody's mm-hmm. aspiring to. The women think that there's going to be a, you know, knight in shining armor who's going to come along and help them live happily ever after. And yep. the men think they're going to be a knight in shining armor and come along and help someone right. be, you know, just in those old gender role stereotypes from, but it, these are the fairy tales. This is what I grew up reading these fairy yeah, tales. I did too. <laughs> Disney I, I thought, movies. And yeah, I thought getting married was going to be the answer to everything. Yeah. Or becoming a parent and having a family uh-huh. and being, you right. know, then you'll live happily ever after. Right. Right. Which is it's really always... like, I'm just going to redo yeah. and do it better. <laughs> right. Well, and it's outside of us, you know, that thing, that relationship, when I get that something outside of me, then I'm going to be okay. Versus what if I'm okay inside of me first, you know, that, and that's really the heart of starting recovery is kind of switching that focus 
from other people to themselves. And that's, that's a hard, even though it sounds simple, that's really hard for codependents to do in recovery because they really think the relationship is going to solve everything. Yeah. So it's like, if I just get out of this relationship and get into the right one. Yep. Yep. Or so, if I get that better job. Yeah. You know. Move to that neighborhood or that better yep, house. Yep. Yeah. I'll be happy when. Exactly. Instead of what if you could be happy now Yeah. within yourself, you know? So how do people heal from codependency? Do you have any mm-hmm. like suggestions, resources? Like, Yeah. So I kind of call it relationship recovery, where you go from relationships that don't serve you to learning how to trust yourself and create relationships that work. Because that to me, you know, in my recovery, I did the relationship piece first and I didn't make as much progress because I totally bypassed wanting to have a relationship with myself. And then, but until I did that piece, I didn't get uh, as much serenity or as much peace within myself. So that to me is huge. So the self-care, the self-trust, has to be built first. And of course, that's a long-term goal. So it's not something you're going to get in a week or a month, but but it is something that that's going to create the foundation. So when you trust yourself, you're going to be able to learn relationship skills, set boundaries, communicate from a better place and pick healthier people. And there's lots of resources now. I mean, there's Al-Anon. I always recommend people checking out Al-Anon or CODA. Al-Anon's more established than CODA, but some people like CODA. They're both 12-step programs, free, on Zoom. Even after this pandemic's over, I wouldn't be surprised if a fair number of meetings stay on Zoom because it's so convenient for people. Let me ask you, I'm sorry, just about those two. Are they both um, like higher power focus? You know, that's a really good question. So yes, they are, but you can be an atheist and go to these programs. They are not going to make you believe in a higher power. It is something eventually that most people, even uh, agnostics and atheists, end up finding some form that works for them. But you don't have to. That's one of the biggest myths is people think, oh, it's a religious program. And it's actually not. But it is helpful to have a power greater than yourself that can be nature, that can be the group, because the group has, you know, a certain energy that can be uh, very powerful for us in terms of healing. So it's really important, but I'm, I'm really glad you asked that because a lot of people get stuck with that assumption that it's a religious program. Yeah. And that's why I was, because I, I know, I, I really don't know anything about CODA, so I really wasn't sure if, but that's sometimes people are asking, like, how can I find a codependency group that's not you know, higher power focus, but I don't know if there are Um, others either. There's smart recovery, but that's more the addiction side. So I don't know if they have, or celebrate, yeah, celebrate recovery is definitely religious. So yeah, I don't know if they have smart recovery for codependents. Okay. I think there's like adult children of alcoholics groups, some places. And of course, not everyone who has codependency is an adult child of an alcoholic. Right. But that is another, I'm glad you brought that up because that's another really powerful program for sure. Are they, do they require higher power? Is that part of, you know, Um, (laughs) you know, they don't require anything, but they will talk about it because it is part of the steps. Yeah. But again, you can go in and say, you know what? I don't believe in a higher power. I have no interest in that. And most people are going to say, totally cool. We're, ha- we're happy you're here. If they don't say that, go to the next meeting <laughs> because yeah. it's totally your business on whether or not you want a higher power or not. It's totally okay not to have one. Okay. 
Thanks for saying that. That's just something sure. a lot of people ask about. Yeah. Yeah. So groups seem to be a good way to kind of address this. Yeah. get support. They offer mentors in the term, uh, uh, in the way of sponsorship. And then they walk you through the 12 steps. So you start with admitting your powerlessness, which most people don't want to do, but it actually is freeing because when you admit that you're powerless, you realize you're not, you're not in control of things and you don't have to take responsibility for everything. So, you know, most people do the steps with a sponsor that, you know, we don't typically recommend doing them by yourself because you need somebody to guide you through it, but it's a very powerful process and you can take what you like and leave the rest. Some people come into the program and they don't want to do the steps at all. That's totally fine. You know, it, it really is. You can dip your toe in and out. You can leave early. You know, it really is a place to go for support, but there's no rules. There's no uh, guidelines that you have to do, which I think is helpful for people when they start. Yeah. And I'm glad you're saying this because I think, mm-hmm. you know, for people who are listening, it can be just intimidating. Like, oh, I don't know. I mean, yeah. I, I don't even know what yeah. would happen at this group. Right. Right. So I know I sort of interrupted you giving resources there. Is there anything else that aside from what your wonderful work is, which I definitely will give you a chance to talk about, but that is there anything sure. else that you would suggest for people to look into if they want to do that healing process? You know, Al-Anon is the number one. A lot of people with the family of origin work, therapy is really good because when you have a lot of trauma and abuse, it really is best to do that work in therapy. Sometimes they have ACA groups led by a therapist. So if you're not ready for 12-step, but you want something safe and small, that can be an economical way to have therapy and a very safe group because it's usually only like six or eight people. You see them every week. It can be, you know, like several month commitment. So those are some options that can help. Awesome. And what what do you have to offer for people who want to hear more about what you're, you're doing and, and mm-hmm. how your programs and products can help? <laughs> so uh, my website is counselingrecovery.com. And I created a codependency workbook that is kind of fun. It's electronic, so you don't have to print it, but it goes through seven modules of self-care, self-trust, boundaries, being able to identify our relationship behavior. Because I was thinking when I created it, what did I want that I didn't get? Because, you know, when I started my recovery like 25, 30 years ago, there wasn't stuff like this. So I kind of was going around in the dark. So I really put a lot of thought into what did I need? And honestly, I needed to learn how to trust myself and identify those patterns that weren't working. So that's what my workbook is about. And then I have a video with each module just because I like to connect. And sometimes people need that, you know, verbal and and just visual of, okay, that's what I'm doing to make sure I'm on the right path. So that's been really fun to create that. That's awesome. I I can't wait to, I'm going to definitely go check that out. Not because I need to, but just in case I want (laughs) to share it with anyone. (laughs) That's right. That's right. I love it. (laughs) Well, I'll definitely link to your website in the show notes and your workbook and Michelle, just thank you so much for being my guest on Therapy Chat today. I love this conversation. Oh, me too. This was really fun. Thank you so much, Laura. 
Hey therapists, do you feel stuck working with clients who can't access their emotions or name their inner experience? Do you find it difficult to work with people who are disconnected from their own emotions and they may be disconnected within the therapeutic relationship as well? Learn a comprehensive approach to conceptualize your client's concerns. Sensory motor psychotherapy uniquely includes the body in therapy as both the source of information and target for intervention because words are not enough. We all know that talk therapy is limited. You've heard it discussed on this podcast multiple, multiple, multiple times. And if you've been listening to this podcast for a while, you also know that I am a huge fan of sensory motor psychotherapy. I've completed levels one and two and plan to pursue the certification level, level three. And the reason why I love it so much is because I've experienced shifts within myself through the experiential training process and huge shifts in my work with clients through the training that I've received with Sensory Motor Psychotherapy Institute. I highly recommend that you check out their website, sensorymotor.org, to learn about their trainings. In fact, they have trainings coming up this summer. And to view their webinars, learn more about what sensory motor psychotherapy is. It's a beautiful, powerful method that I can't recommend highly enough. So check them out at sensorymotor.org. Thank you for listening to Therapy Chat with your host, Laura Reagan, LCSWC. For more information, please visit therapychatpodcast.com. Try Therapy Notes, the number one rated electronic health record system available today. With live telephone support seven days a week, it's clear why Therapy Notes is rated 4.9 out of 5 stars on Trustpilot and has a 5-star rating on Google. Therapy Notes makes billing, scheduling, note-taking, and telehealth incredibly easy. And now for all you prescribers out there, Therapy Notes is proudly introducing ePrescribe. Try it today with no strings attached and see why everyone is switching to Therapy Notes, now featuring ePrescribe. You can get two months free by using promo code CHAT at therapynotes.com. Trauma Therapist Network is a website to learn about trauma and how it shows up in our lives and to find a trauma therapist. Go to traumatherapistnetwork.com to find a trauma therapist near you today. Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details.